Okay, if we can turn, having sung about it throughout the, uh, the service this morning, um, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. And um, we're going to look at a familiar portion of Scripture, no doubt, to us. And so um, we will consider the Word of God this morning. Now, it's true that in the world in which we live, when we, think, when we come to Christmas and that time of Christmas, there is undoubtedly much, really, that is, uh, that is um, well, I use the word pseudo, or the word pseudo means um, defined, it literally means that much which is false. There's so much which is deceptive. There's so much which is a sham. That's what the word pseudo means. And when you think of the world and you think of Christmas and here we are, and I'm not wanting, I'm not wanting to be the Grinch this morning, okay? But um, I just want to focus the light on where it belongs, amen? And that is on Jesus. And so I'm not saying don't embrace, don't give gifts and all those things and family and all that surrounds Christmas. I'm not here to pour cold water on those things. I'm just here to say that uh, let us be sober in our thinking and, uh, and always remember in light of this, because it's easy to get caught up in the pseudo aspects of it. You know, who's been shopping? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so it's easy to, uh, to embrace it to a degree in which we kind of disconnect and can be drawn away from the reality of what uh, when it comes to Christmas, is all about. Now, we know that Jesus wasn't born in December nor on the 25th of December. That is clear. But it is the time in which we live and it is Christmas and, and so forth. And so, so many Christians, they look at the Christmas as well and they see the, the, the pseudo-elements of it. And so people kind of, you know, they reject it altogether. Any involvement, it's paganism. God, you know, it's uh, all forbidden and all of that stuff. And and, uh, you know, and sometimes their points are valid. I'm not suggesting that they don't have a relevance in some of the things that they may express. But for the Christian, we don't build upon those pseudo-elements of Christmas. Amen? We build upon the biblical realities and the biblical truths that are associated with Christmas and obviously with God and with the Word of God, as we will see this morning. And so at this time, it is always imperative, it is always important, it's always critical to inject a biblical narrative into this time of Christmas, to bring our attention to Christ, to bring our attention to the Word of God. And that's my intention this morning, so uh, that we can not lose sight of the reality that it is Christmas this morning. And sure, it is the birth of Jesus. And Jerry shared what he shared, not only to bring a over a balanced view, an overview, because it's not just about the birth, but the swaddling cloths and other things that are associated with the whole nativity aspect, it all speaks of his death. And so there are many aspects and many elements to consider, and that's what we want to do this morning as we look at our text that we will read in just a moment. And we want to see uh, who Jesus is and what the true biblical purpose is and what his ultimate purpose is going to be as we read it through the prophets, because the prophets are clear and the prophet Isaiah is clear and this portion of text that we're going to read is wonderful for us to consider this morning. So let's read from verse 6, a familiar portion of text to us all. The Bible says, For unto us a child 
is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Amen. Father, I just pray, bless your word this morning. Lord, let the truths thereof, Lord, so speak and illuminate our hearts and minds. God, minister these truths and these realities to every child that's here this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, here we have an interesting portion of text, and I want to establish context as well as we look at it, and obviously all that the, the Scripture is teaching us and related to ourselves. But if we were ever looking for a scripture to witness to the, uh, the deity of Jesus Christ, then here is one. Amen? Absolutely, when we talk about the, 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 the uh, divinity of Jesus Christ, we see it plastered right throughout this portion of text as we will consider it this morning. And so the text is quite interesting because it has a, a dual application in that it's speaking to Israel and also it is speaking to the church. It's speaking to believers as you, you and I. And so we want to touch upon and draw those distinctions as well as we consider the text this morning. But it is clearly a proclamation, a declaration by the prophet of unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. This is none other than Jesus Christ himself. As Isaiah said in chapter 7, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. God with us. And so we have the reality of Jesus Christ. We have the deity of Jesus Christ. And what we find in verse 6 of our text actually deals with the, the, sec, the first coming and the second coming of Jesus Christ. You know, like in other uh, aspects of Scripture, when you read it uh, uh, and you begin to ponder it, you realise that sometimes only one portion of the text relates to Christ and then other, other aspects relate to, um, uh, uh, physically speaking, for, uh, future um, events to happen, in this case with the nation of Israel. But nevertheless, there's much to draw from it and it all applies to us, as we'll see. But it speaks of the first coming. It speaks of the second coming of Christ and the things that are associated with it. And not only that, we find within the text there are uh, references to the attributes of Christ as they relate not only to the Godhead and the Trinity as such, but also to us as believers and the ministry of Christ to us, as we will see. And yet it speaks of a future time when Christ will return again and he will reign and he will rule in the, what we call the kingdom age what the Bible calls the kingdom age, the millennial reign of Christ. Jesus Christ is coming back and he's going to take up his throne and it's going to be in the city of Jerusalem in Zion and he will rule and reign for a thousand years. Amen? Amen. And so we have in verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And when you think about it, really that portion of text is the reference to the first coming of Jesus Christ. That is exclusive to the, 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 the 2,000 years ago when Christ was born. 
and came into the world and all that was associated with it. But we have here in this particular text a reference to the divinity of Jesus Christ, but also we have a reference to the humanity of Jesus Christ. And so it is important for us to make that distinction because we have in, in Christ becoming a man or a child and being born, we have what we call the incarnation. We have God with us, Emmanuel. God has become, and here we have a man in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now listen, it says, for unto us a child is born. That's dealing with the humanity of Jesus Christ. He was, uh, God came a man. Jesus was flesh and blood. He was a baby, baby Jesus. That's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting concept to consider. But yet uh, the scripture says, For unto us a child is born, but unto us a son is given. So, so therefore we have now a reference to the Son of God. We have reference to the giving of the Son. And we know this in Scripture uh, in which Christ has been given. The Son of God has been born. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. A Son has been given. The Son of God has become flesh. And the Word of God has become flesh and dwelt among us. And so here we have this reference in the prophet Isaiah. A child is born, a son is given. This is from the divinest perspective. The son is given. You see, it's interesting because we speak of Christmas and we speak of giving and we give and we receive during Christmas, but note here that when we talk about the Christ, when we talk about Jesus Christ, the Bible is saying, unto us a son is given. God is gave his only begotten son. We have the giving of Jesus Christ for the sins of the world. Someone who was born to die. Someone who was born to suffer. Someone who was born to bear uh, uh, the penalty of sin, to ransom us, to redeem us, to save us, uh, and to forgive us. Praise the Lord. And so we have all of these aspects that relate to the first coming of Jesus Christ. A son has been given, the son of God. And we know that all that Christ accomplished in that he completed the work of Calvary and he said it is finished as he hung upon that cross. His purpose was fulfilled and redemption was, was, was sealed, it was completed and the gift of salvation has been offered unto the world. Amen? Amen. But you see... As we look at chapter, uh, verse 6 of our text, <clears throat> For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. There's the, the, the first coming, the, sec, the first advent of Christ. But at the same time, we have further reference here, and, uh, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And you can read on, actually, in, chapter, in verse 7, which we will after. But the point is, is that these references now shift to a future aspect because there is the first coming and there's the second coming. That's why our brother Colm said the first time he came as a suffering servant, the second time he comes, he's coming as a conquering king. And so the king is going to take up his throne. The king is going to judge the world in righteousness. The king is going to rule and to reign. 
And so you have a shift. In there you have the first advent and the second advent of Christ all packaged right there for us in one that relates to what the Bible refers to as the kingdom age, a future age that is to come when the king of kings and lord of lords shall return. And you know where he will return? The Bible says that he will take up the throne, the throne of David in Jerusalem and he will rule for the city of God in Zion. And when you begin to understand just even that aspect of it and the prophecies that are already set in place that relate to these things. For example, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, God is giving David a promise. And he says, In your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. The throne of David. And that throne, David being a type of Christ, that throne will ultimately be established and it will, Christ himself will rule and reign and sit on that throne. Praise the Lord. And that's going to be in the kingdom age. That is that which is to come, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ upon the earth. And that's why when we think of that, we find these references where it says, and the government will be upon his shoulder. He will be the ruler. Amen. He will reign. He will be the, gov the governor. Amen. Forget all that's going on in the world around us and all the democracies of the world and all, of, all that's going on in the political arenas of the world. You see, there is coming a day, amen, when all of these will be overthrown and Christ will take up his throne and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the government will be upon his shoulders and we will have a theocracy, amen? Because that's God's order. Not democracy. It's not people power. It is God's power. And so we find this. Actually turn to Psalm, if you will, Psalm chapter 2, just so we can see this. Go to Psalm 2. What I, this, this psalm speaks of the Messiah's triumph and his kingdom that is to come. It says, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. I love this verse. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. <laughs> Isn't that just amazing? God has a sense of humor. He thinks that man really thinks that they're going to rule. <laughs> <laughs> and God finds it amusing. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. And God's thinking, I can just snuff you out in just a moment. Like, they, but mankind doesn't understand. They think that they're in control. They're in control of nothing. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and, and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations, the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Look at verse 10. Now therefore be wise, O kings. 
Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. When His wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are those who put their trust in Him. What a glorious psalm. About the, this is speaking about the Messiah's future reign. This is exactly what Isaiah is talking about. And so we have a, son, a child who's born, son who's been given. That has happened. But that which is still to come is forthcoming and the government will be upon his shoulders. And that is a future event still to occur as we are reading here in the text. But it will be his throne. It's the Messiah's triumph. And so... But then what's interesting is the scripture then moves in, the, in verse 6 to describe the various attributes that will characterize the kingdom age and characterize Christ in his rule and in his reign. But what is important, and it says his name will be called and, and it elaborates as we'll see that in a moment. But as we have established already, amen, the scripture speaks first and foremost in verse 6 to the first coming of Jesus Christ. And though the, 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 those that, the words that follow have an application directly to the church, uh, sorry, to the kingdom age, it is not, that does not uh, mean that it is irrelevant to the church. In actual fact, it has more relevance to the church, or not more, it has uh, uh, the same relevance to the church as it does to the nation of Israel and the Messiah's uh, reign in Jerusalem in the fact that, amen, a, a child has been born. A son has been given. And we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We have received him. And he is the Lord of lords in our hearts. He sits upon the throne of our hearts. Amen? And it's in light of those realities that Christ is real to us now. And so when we read about these attributes that will uh, apply in the kingdom age, it is important for us to understand that those attributes already apply to us now in the church. And so we are already partakers of these elements. Christ is all these things to us now because we have already received the Son. Israel has not. The kingdom age has not been ushered in yet. But for the church, we're already there. Amen. And so it is in that context that we must understand these, these scriptures. We're already part of this wonderful salvation. And so when we look at these attributes, we can relate to them, we can understand them, we can meditate upon them and how they speak to us and how they minister to us because the truth is, is that Christ, in having been risen, risen from the dead, ascended into heaven, the Bible says that he is our intercessor, he is our great high priest, amen, and he is sympathizing with us in our weaknesses. He's there to intercede for us and to help us and all of these things. And it's captured in our text as well. Now, it says in verse 6, For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called. His name will be called. Now, here it is. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. And these are titles, these are attributes that are associated with our Saviour and our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we read these, he fulfills these things to us already now. And our God is wonderful. Amen? In actual fact, we could go into its wonderful counsellor, the exact wording, 
and so forth. But even if we just considered for a moment just as wonderful, you know, we know that Jesus is wonderful. His name is wonderful. And, uh, and we uh, have the story of um, Samson's parents, and they see the angel of the Lord, a Christophany, Christ, a manifestation of Christ in the Old Testament. And they ask his name, and he says, Why do you ask my name? For it is wonderful. And when we talk about the wonder of God, his name is wonderful. And that word wonderful, actually, in, in the Hebrew, it means a miracle. And when you think of Christ Jesus and you think of the virgin birth and you think of God becoming a man in the incarnation, it is all a miracle of God. A miracle to behold. How marvelous, how wonderful are these things. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 21, verse 42, he says to the Pharisees, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. That word marvelous in the Greek is wonderful. It is wonderful. This is the day that the Lord has made. When we sing that song, we're not talking about today and the sun that shines today. We're talking about Christ and his marvelous, wonderful name and nature and all that he is. Oh, his name is wonderful. And in his future reign, he will be wonderful as they see him in his glory. Now, the scripture says also, counselor. And so, in, in, from the perspective of the kingdom age that is to come, and him ruling in government, surely he will be one that will rule with wisdom. He will be one that rules in perfection. Christ is the counsellor, he is the mighty, he is the wonderful counsellor and his wisdom is always right, amen? In the world in which we live, our governments, we're fickle, futile and uh, we're prone to uh, all kinds of errors but not Christ, when he rules, he will rule upon the throne in absolute righteousness, judgeness, judge, uh, justice uh, and holiness uh, and all of those things, amen? But... Uh, but when we think of the word counsellor, not only as it relates to Israel, but how it relates to us now as the church. Because we know, we, we hear this, we understand that we have already now a counsellor. Jesus said, I will send to you another. And, uh, and Jesus referred to him as the, as the counsellor. Someone who will be with us or be us alongside of us. The Bible says that he will, will guide us into all truth. He will teach us. And so we have access to the counsellor already. Amen? Amen? We already have access to the word of God. We have access to the, the leading and teaching of the spirit. We have an anointing that teaches us, the Bible says. The Holy Spirit leads us and guides us into all truth. And so when we consider the counsellor, uh, we, we realise the need for us to be instructed because the, the government will be upon his shoulders in the, in the kingdom age. But as Christ rules and reigns in our heart, amen, even that is a challenge in and of itself, is it not? Because we fail so often and we need the wisdom of God. We need the counsel of God.
And so the ministry of counsellor is already fulfilled and being fulfilled in our lives through our relationship with God and through his word. And the Bible teaches us that uh, even in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, where it says that the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we know not what we ought to pray as we, as we should, but, but the Spirit makes, groan, uh, makes uh, um, intercession with groanings that cannot be uttered. And so, we, we, you know, even when we can't even find the words in our desperation, the Spirit of God is interceding on our behalf. And so we have a counsellor, and when we begin to identify that, see that, even in our weakness, in our struggles, in our trials, in our vulnerabilities, we have one, amen, that is working on our behalf and for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? You see... That's why even when you think about Christmas in the world today, and we th we, for the most part we can be blessed. But you know in Christmas time there's a lot of people that are lonely, a lot of people that are suffering, a lot of people that have broken families, no one they can actually go to, turn to. And yet in Christ, amen, we have our own relationship with God, we have the brethren, even if we don't have sometimes the family as it should be and as, 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 as it needs to be. But nevertheless, God places the solitary in families, the Bible says. So then we have another reference. It says, Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. Mighty God. I mean, seriously, if you were looking for some reference to the deity of Jesus Christ, I mean, it's filled with it. This is not, uh, you know, when you, when you read these words, the mighty God. See, that word, uh, you know, we talk about baby Jesus, but you see, baby Jesus was born to rule. Baby Jesus is a king. That's why the wise men, when they came to him, presented him with such. Then they worshipped him. And the Bible says not only them, but the angels of God, when the sun came into the world, they worshipped him. Because he's the mighty God, in Hebrews it tells us. And so here it is, the mighty God, the supreme ruler, the child that is destined to physically rule and reign. You see, here at this stage, he has physically ascended into heaven after his crucifixion. But the Bible says in the same manner in which he went, he will come and he will come again in the clouds of heaven and he will rule and he will reign and take up his throne because he's the mighty God. God will reign. But you see, that's the kingdom age. But again, to the church, he's already ruling and he's already reigning in our hearts. And so that's why we find references in the scripture. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Why? Because we serve a mighty God. We have a mighty God that lives and abides in us. And so therefore we are partakers of the, of the divine nature and we receive of these things. So we triumph, even in our sufferings, even in our trials. And there are many, but we see the unseen. Amen? So we have here a further reference as we go down in Everlasting Father. 
Now it's important for us just to distinguish here that this is not suggesting that the, the Son is, is the Father himself. But, and, and actually, as you studied in the Hebrew, the proper rendering for this verse is actually Father of Eternity. And so Father being and representing the originator, the source, the eternal aspect, you know, him who inhabits and dwells in eternity. And so, and so in, in let us make men. And so the us being in, in the plural sense, a understanding of, of, of the Godhead, we see here a reference to Christ, but we know that Christ in the, in, in being the Son of God and, in, and, and one with God, the Father in him, he in him, and so forth. And so therefore, we have an extension. The everlasting Father, he has seen me, has seen the Father. And so we have a Father, the Bible says, that is the, the originator of all eternity. He's the Father of all eternity. And when we think of this aspect of a Father, we find, yes, okay, one who rules and reigns, but also we, we find the attributes of one who loves and cares. In the fact that, uh, in, again, in, in Romans 8, we, the, this God has sent the Spirit in our hearts in which we cry out, Abba, Father. And so our relationship to God, how do we pray? Jesus said, you pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. And so our relationship is to the Father, amen? God is our Father. The everlasting Father resides in our hearts and our relationship is part of being adopted as children of God is that we have a heavenly Father this morning. You may not, for some, there are people in the world through circumstances that don't have a, a natural Father. You know, whether they're absent or whether they've died or whatever the case may be, but we all have, amen, in Christ, a, spirit, a heavenly Father. And so thank God for him. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank God for one who loves us. And so there's one last attribute that we want to consider this morning. And uh, I'm, I'm sure you know what it is. The Prince of Peace. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Father of Eternity, and Prince of Peace. Thank God for the Prince of Peace. You see, again, let's look at it first and foremost in the Kingdom Age. When will the world have peace? When the Prince of Peace comes. The world, the, the Bible speaks about the Antichrist. It speaks about a time when they'll see peace and safety. Oh, when they think they've achieved it, then sudden destruction will come. And so the world is trying to establish a peace, but outside of the Prince of Peace. Is it, you know, this is one of the things that annoys me during uh, Christmas. You know, again, I do get agitated a lot. And uh, because the world's trying to take upon Christian uh, scriptures. And so, you know, we sing that song, Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Well, did Jesus come to bring peace on earth? He only came to bring peace on earth to the extent in which he is the ruler of their hearts. Because the kingdom of God is in you. It's not yet in the kingdom age in the external physical sense. And so the world likes to claim Christ during Christmas and you, you know, I'm sure people are planning to watch Christmas carols and I'm sure the carols are lovely, but sometimes I get really agitated when I see who's singing them. 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so I just sit there and I just get riled, really, in my spirit because they make these claims and sing these songs. They have no idea. And they talk about peace and goodness and everyone's one happy family. But can I say to you, it's pseudo. It's false. It's a sham. Oh, Pastor Gary, you're being a Grinch again. But I'm trying just to say, don't be deceived by the pseudo. I mean, we can hear the carols, and they're wonderful carols. And some of those singers, they've got lovely voices. And we, we hear them, and we, we can be emotionally moved by them. But don't be deceived by them, church. Because they are, that's of the world. And the whole peace and joy that they're promoting has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's humanism. So, the Prince of Peace. Only be so when Jesus returns, but we know that we have peace in Christ. But let me, ask, let me just say this. Remember, Jesus said, don't think that I came to bring peace on earth. <laughs> don't be mistaken. Because that's what happens with you know, some good-willed and sincere Christians who get caught up in the social gospel. Is, you know, we, we just all want to live in harmony. But you are, you are missing its humanism under the mask of Christianity, deceiving many into wanting to uh, uh, buy into a peace that is not of God. Because this gospel is offensive. And Jesus said, don't think that I've come to bring peace on earth. Not peace, but a sword. And he goes on to say to his disciples uh, that the enemies, uh, your enemies will be those of your own household. I bet God wants us all to be happy and hold hands. Of course he does. He wants to save everybody. But if not, then Christ brings division. And you read it. And a, a, a mother against daughter, mother-in-law against, you know, daughter-in-law and all the rest of it that Jesus says because the gospel does not bring peace into the home. It can bring disharmony. It can bring chaos. It brings division. So well, that's not God. That's God. Not that God wants to achieve that, but God understands the reality of these things and we need to as well. And so... Let's not get caught up in the spirit of Christmas in that sense. Let's get caught up into it and only in the context of which it relates to this book and to Christ exclusively. And so, but to the Christian, we already have the Prince of Peace. Amen? Because the moment we made peace with God, we have now the peace of God. And when, the, when, when, when we are reconciled to God, we were once enemies of the cross, but now we have been redeemed and we have made peace with God and we have received the peace of God. And the Bible tells us that that peace is to rule in our hearts because he, uh, he is on the throne. Amen. And so the Prince of Peace is present to each of us. That's why we find scriptures like Philippians 4. Or actually, we'll read that in a moment, but Jesus himself said, My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give, but my peace. And we have received his peace from the Prince of Peace. And so as we live out the Christian life, we find the references in Scripture where it says in Philippians 4, 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, 
which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Colossians 3 verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you are also called in one body and be thankful. What a glorious peace that we have. And as I conclude on the thought of this this morning, the Prince of Peace, I want you to turn with me to the prophet Isaiah chapter 26. Just go forward from the text. You see, again, this is another scripture. It's a song of salvation. And it's a song that Israel will sing. But it's a song that we Christians already sing. Amen. And what we find here referred to in the scripture, though it speaks of a future time in the second advent of Christ in the kingdom age, there is also a reference that relates to us and to the church. And so let's look at verse 1. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks, meaning that this is the protection and guardianship of God. Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. Now look at verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For in Yahweh the Lord is everlasting strength. God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him. And that's the challenge for us as Christians, is it not? The mind can get drawn away with so many, can be troubled with so many things. It's a constant battleground, daily. And our mind shoots off in this thought, shoots off in this direction. And then we thank God, the counsellor and uh, the Prince of Peace and all these ministering aspects of of Christ come to us and kind of help calm and bring us into a a, a state of of, of where the peace of God and the Prince of Peace is ruling in our our hearts. But listen to that, I'll keep him in perfect peace. I know it's easy just to read that and say amen, but to actually live that, that's... It's a lot more challenging, isn't it not? But yet that's what the scripture is telling us. And so it challenges us all because we have to continue to trust in him. Trust in him because in him is everlasting strength. And so in light of all of the things that we have considered this morning, we see a saviour. A child, unto us a child is born. God himself, our Redeemer. A son has been given in, in, from God's perspective, but unto us a child is born, a son of God. And these attributes that are speaking of his ultimate kingdom reign are already relevant and have application now in the church. And in verse 7 of our text, it says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Jesus is coming back, church. And he's going to rule and take, the government will be upon his shoulders. He's going to take up the throne of David. And the scriptures clearly says it. But you see, the child has already been given. The son has already been given. And we are partakers of this glorious salvation. Amen.
Let us pray. Father, we just thank you for the word of God this morning. And Lord, help us to identify the pseudo-elements that surround Christmas. And help us, Lord, have a sober and balanced perspective and understanding that is grounded and rooted in the word of God that keeps you into focus. And so, Lord, as we come uh, together this morning, and as we go throughout the course of this period and this time, this season in which we live, Lord, let us not forget, a, a child was born and a son was given. We thank you, Father, for the Son of God, your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay.